today's scripture passage, um, where's, where's the word of God? Where's, there it is. Where did I set it down? Uh, scripture passage today comes from uh, John, the gospel of John, uh, beginning in chapter one, verse one, it says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything made, or without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, spiritually born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Amen. My wife and I live not very far from where we are located today. Um, my wife and I live in a little historic community uh, called Carolina Place. We live on Carolina Avenue. Um, moved into our neighborhood just a few years ago after we planted the Bridge Church. The Bridge Church is about eight years old, a little over eight years old. And in 2014, when we moved to Wilmington, we rented for about a year and then um, after that year, we purchased um, a home in the neighborhood not far from where our church is located as a strategic way to be in the community, uh, to be um, near um, those who are, we're going to be ministering to, to rub shoulders with people and neighbors and to get to know situations and stories. And um, we love our little, uh, we love our little uh, kingdom real estate right over there on Carolina Avenue. Now, over the past few years, because of our neighborhood and because of our area, and just because of Wilmington as a whole, it's, um, it's, we've had some interesting experiences and some encounters over the year. I'll never forget, um, shortly after we moved into the no new home in 2015, I would get a little bit of a frantic phone call from my wife. I was out and I was um, away and my wife said, there is a car in our front yard. And I'm like, I'm sorry? Um, she's like, there's a car in our front yard. I'm like, what? She's like, I don't know what's happening, what's going on. Um, somehow, literally a minivan had in reverse had come up over our curb and onto the sidewalk and into the front yard of our home. And I'm like, well, let's call the cops or something. I don't know exactly what is um, going on. Kind of a bizarre uh, scenario, but what we would find out is that someone had just overdosed while driving their vehicle and had obviously um, 
lost control of the vehicle and it was now on our front yard. And the um, paramedics and, and police would come and they would fortunately revive the person who had just overdosed. Um, but it was a very um, tangible, specific example of some of the challenges that we face in our community. Some of the challenges that we face in our culture at large. 2000, in 2015, Wilmington would be ranked by Castlight Health, would be ranked number one in the country for opioid abuse, which means per capita in our city, in Wilmington, we would rank number one in the entire country for opio opioid abuse. And here's, here's what is true about our society. We live in um, one of the most wealthy, educated, progressive societies in the history of the world. And you think we'd have a lot to be happy about. Um, you think that there would be a lot to be positive about, but the reality is that it's the other way around. And happiness actually isn't on the rise. Hopelessness is. Uh, Ellen Mira associate professor of health and policy at Dartmouth, she would say, it's almost like there is this epidemic of hopelessness that needs to be understood. In addition, according to a study released by the CDC in 2016, the annual US suicide rate increased 24% between 1999 and 2014, the highest rate recorded in 28 years. Surging death rates from suicide, drug overdoses, and alcohol, alcoholism, what researchers refer to as deaths of despair, are largely responsible for a consecutive three-year decline of life expectancy in the U.S., which constitutes the most significant drop in the U.S. since the years of 1915 to 1918. I could go on and even talk about the local violence, and we could talk about shootings, and we could talk about what's happening in our schools and our public schools, and uh, most of the people in this room, if you have a child in the school system, um, likely had an event over the past few weeks where there was some kind of threat uh, to your children's health at their school or, or perceived threat. Violence and shootings and school shootings, and the list could just go on. And, and here's what we have to recognize and what we have to understand, and I've, I've, I've said this many times before, is that outcomes aren't random. Results aren't random. In, in your life, the results that you're getting in your life right now, the results that you're experiencing, whatever you're experiencing, health-wise, physically, mentally, um, financially, relationally, the, the results that you're experiencing right now are being produced by specific actions and specific decisions. Now, they're, they're not random, but those specific actions are producing certain outcomes and results in your life. And those actions and those decisions are, are, are being based, are being produced by a mindset, by a way of thinking, by a way of understanding, by a governance of the mind and the thinking that is then leading you to take certain actions and to make certain decisions in certain situations. That's not only true of you as an individual, but that's also true of institutions. It's true of institutions, it's true of nations, it's true of societies, and it's true of civilizations. And the reality is that the outcomes that we are experiencing as a society and the results that we are experiencing are not random, 
They're not random. They're not happenstance. They're being produced by specific actions, specific decisions that are being made on a societal level. You know, you've heard it said before that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing but expecting different results. We're at a season and we're at a time in our society and in our lives where we need to do something different. We need to do something different and this game of society and this thing that we have been pursuing as a culture is not working. It's not working. Politicians can't figure it out. Uh, social leaders can't figure it out. Nonprofit organizations are having a hard time figuring it out. It is not working. It's not working. We need something different. We need something different. We need, we need something to give us hope. We, we need truth. We need light in a dark place and in a dark situation. My title for today, it's this, Finding Hope This Christmas. Finding Hope This Christmas. And as we approach the Christmas season and over the next few weeks, as you um, have to walk through both the complexity, Christmas is complex, isn't it, y'all, by the way, the Christmas season, holiday season. You've got to walk through both realities of joy and realities of sadness. And those things are commingled together as we experience this holiday season. And, 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 and for those who have experienced loss and those who've experienced significant hardship this year, for those who've walked through incredible pain uh, this year, uh, those who've seen things go away and th see things fall apart, uh, today I want to encourage you with finding hope in Christmas, specifically through Christ. We're in John chapter 1, and I'm going to walk through this text, and I'm going to encourage you and, and remind you of the kind of hope that we have that supersedes supersedes societal, cultural, and even individual um, realities. This is what the text says in John 1, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, it'll be on the screen for you. It says this, in the beginning, the apostle John is referring to the beginning, like the beginning, the beginning, like the very beginning, like before even the foundations of the world. In the very beginning was the word. And as you'll see, the word here is a term that's used for Jesus Christ himself. In the beginning was the word. Somebody say the word. The word. The word. You're with me, everybody. Everybody's with me. They're with me. And the word was with God and the word was God. How can something be with something and be it at the very same time? This is what we would understand. I don't have tons of time to do this, but this is what we would understand, the concept of what theologians refer to as the Trinity, that we have a Trinitarian God, that we have a God who is three distinct, uh, well, three distinct uh, persons, but one being. Um, he's Father, He's Son, and He is Holy Spirit. You could say He is God the Father, He is God the Son, and He is God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ Himself is the son. He is the word. That's why he could be with the father God and be God himself at the very same time. Verse two would say this. <coughs> Excuse me. I got a cat this week, y'all, by the way. <clears throat> I'm blaming this on the cat. <clears throat> Babe, would you hand me my, yeah, or Adam? Yeah. Um, I really, uh, I had a little bit of a thing kind of going on before the cat, and then the cat just like, you ever, you ever been in a place in your life where you had something bad and you tried to resolve it with something and it made it worse? Well, that's kind of what the, that's kind of what the cat, it's my decision though. The cat was my decision. I was trying to, 
I'll, I'll own the decision. Did you know that outcomes aren't random? They're, uh, sorry. A little sip here, a little sip here. Oh, that's great. T, I asked for double honey today. Okay, here we go. Uh, verse two says this, and he, for everyone online, uh, you had just had to endure that. So thank you for joining us wherever you are online and we love you. Thank you for in, in, embodying a little bit of a, a momentary sermon humor. Here we go. Verse two it says this, <clears throat> He was in the beginning with God, which means at the very beginning before the foundation of the world, the beginning of the beginning um, was Christ himself. And you need to understand that this baby that was born in a manger in Bethlehem has been existing for all time, even before time, you could say. Verse three, all things were made through him that Christ was not only in the beginning, but he was also the maker. And without him was not anything made that was made. In verse four, in him was life. This is the very nature of God, that our God embodies life in him. That's why he can create something out of nothing. That's because he is life himself. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So for clarity, the way that you experience light in your life is being connected to the light of life, which is Christ himself. In verse five. And the light shines, and this is the metaphor that John is giving us. It's the darkness and light. In the, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, theologians and commentators would say that uh, these initial verses of the Gospel of John are some of the most weighty and some of the most powerful and some of the most arguable or, or, or uh, verses that, that uh, produce argument um, in the entire uh, Bible. In fact, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm not trying to throw shade, but uh, who different religion, different spirituality, because of their views and because of their teachings, even on the person of Christ and who Christ is, because they don't believe that Christ is God, um, it co-equals with the Father and the Spirit. Because of this, they actually amend these verses in their Bible. They changed these verses in their Bible, um, I would argue, to fit a narrative that fits with their theological or religious position. Here we see that Jesus Christ is referred to as the Word. The Greek term for this uh, term here is the term logos, or log logos, logos. In um, a lot of, lot of debate about this actual uh, term in, in the Greek, but essentially, in, in Greek philosophy and Greek thought, there was this idea that the logos... This logos was some kind of thing, some kind of experience, some kind of cosmic reason, some kind of cosmic identity or cosmic being that if you were somehow connected to the logos and had connect, connection to this reason, you, you would be able to experience the kind of life that you would need to experience. And I love what John does. John comes onto the scene and John says, Jesus Christ is the logos. He's the logos. He is, he is God. He, he is this divine being. And, and here at Christmas, we need to recognize that Jesus Christ, yes, he was a baby. Yes, he was a man. But the clear, emphatic teachings of the scripture is that Jesus Christ is God. He's God. He's God the Son. And the Trinity functions in different ways. They have different roles and responsibilities and different activities. And the way in which Jesus would function, the way that the Son of God would function, would be by entering into human history and actually taking on form in this uh, wonderful uh, thing that we call a Christmas. And 
John paints a picture for us about the world, not like everything is okay, not like everything is fine and dandy, um, not, not like everything goes the way that it should go. The picture that John paints for us of the world and of this thing we call life is that there's this cosmic battle, this cosmic war between light and darkness. That even on the inside of each individual is this tension and is this war that's going on on whether or not in your life darkness or light wins. See, the thing about life is that you and I have to wrestle, if we're going to be intellectually honest about life, we're going to have to wrestle with the things inside us that perhaps make us most concerned. The things in us that don't match up, the things in us that seem to fail, the things that seem to produce darkness. You you ever ever had a a bad thought before? Don't raise your hand, but you ever had a bad thought before and you're like, I can't believe I just thought that. Like, where, you're like, where did that come from? Like, and the answer is it came from you. It came from inside you, which is just like a short little, like, demonstration that there's something in you that's off. There's something inside you that's wrong. There's something in, in you that needs to be overcome. There's something in you that needs to be overcome with something that is, um, better. And this is the picture that John paints for us is this war between light and darkness, spiritual light and spiritual darkness. He would say this, if you jump down to verse 9, he would say this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is the light, this is Jesus Christ, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You ever felt like that as a parent, for those of you who are parents? You're like, I made you for crying out loud. Like, I'm the one that gave you life. You better respect me. You know, you better listen to me. You better. Jesus Christ made the world for crying out loud. He he made every human. He gave every human existence. And rather than actually receive him, we would reject him. And verse 11 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. I just want to encourage you today with, with this reality. The Christian religion, the Christian faith, the Christian viewpoint is not a viewpoint where there is a God who is some kind of distant deity who's a million miles away who doesn't care about your situation. The Christian viewpoint is that you have a God who even in your mess, even in your grossness, actually came to you. He's a God that has everything that he needs. He's a God that has glory for infinity. He's a God that can command the stars with his very voice. Yet he's a God who decided to come and pursue you. He's a God that decided to leave heaven, to leave the wonders and the glories and the beauty of heaven, to actually come into a world that was fallen and broken and depraved and falling apart and actually take on human existence. You got a God that isn't a long ways away, doesn't care about you, isn't disconcerned with the situation, but a God that is very concerned with the situation, who would actually even come into the situation himself to do something about it. Which demonstrates to us that if God had to come into the situation, that means the situation must have only been able to be resolved by God himself. 
If anyone else could have done it, if anything else could have done it, he wouldn't have had to come. But he came. He came and he entered in. He, he, he took on and he came to us. So I'll say this. Jesus came to you when you could not come to him. This is, this is the beauty of Christianity. There's so many different thoughts and ideologies and perspectives and philosophies and worldviews and religions. And, uh, but to have, a, to have a God that would come to you, to have a God that would pursue you, Amen. some of you feel like you don't matter. It's like nobody cares about you, that the closest people in your life, rather than actually come to you, they ran away from you. But you need to make sure that your understanding and your idea of of self and value isn't tied to the people around you, but is tied to God himself who actually comes for you. And Jesus would come for you and he would come for you when you could not come to him. But here's what Jesus does. He comes. He enters. He invades the world. He steps into the mess. But it's unbelievable that he actually gives us a decision to receive. He's he's the God of the world. If I'm God and I show up, you better bow your knee. You better get in line. You better submit. You you better get in step. Wow. God comes in and he actually says, what do you want to do? It's the craziest reality in the world. God would take on human form. He, he would enter into the mess. He, he, he would walk the dirt that we would walk, and then he would look at you and he would say, what do you want to do? The question that every person has to answer is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with God? Are you going to receive him, or are you going to reject him? It's, 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 the, it's the biggest decision in the world. It's the, it's the biggest decision in the history of the universe for humanity. What will you do with Jesus? And Jesus came, and here, here's, here's, the, here's the challenge, is that many times in our life, um, we kind of want to be our own savior, if we're honest. We kind of want to be our own boss. We kind of want to be our own God. We want to be our own master. We want to be our own Lord at the end of the day. To receive Jesus means you've got to get to a place in your life where you're ready and willing to acknowledge that you can't save yourself and nothing else can save you except for him. And receiving is a position of surrender. It's a position of surrender. It's a position of submitting to something. It's receiving something outside yourself, a recognition that you cannot rescue yourself, but that you need an external third party in order to do what you cannot do. That's what salvation is. And it's a, this is crazy. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's free. Do y'all know that like nothing is free these days? I mean, like, for crying out loud, you can't get hardly anything uh, for, for free these days. I mean, uh, Apple wanted to in- increase my iCloud storage, and they're like, it's going to cost you 99 cents a month. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, like, oh, it's hardly anything is free. But, but Christ is free. Here's why it's free. Here's why it's free. And then you have to understand this uh, in order for this whole thing to make sense. Here's why it's free. If it costs you, or if you can pay for it, if you could pay for it or if you could earn it, and then at the end of the day, guess what? You pat yourself on the back because you're the one that paid for it or earned it. The reason that it's free is because you, 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 you actually don't have enough 
to pay for it. You actually couldn't do enough to earn it. So Jesus gives it to you for free, which puts you in a continual, perpetual, eternal state of graciousness and thankfulness to him for what he did for you. Nobody gets to heaven, as I've said, and says, I did a pretty good job. No, the only way that you get there is recognizing that you actually couldn't do the job to get you there in the first place. That, that's, that's, that's the gospel right there. That, that's, that's, what, that's what God does on the inside. And when you surrender, when you submit, when you trust in Christ alone and not your anything else in order to save you, then you have experienced salvation. And here, here's, how, here's, how, um, here's how John would describe that experience. He, he would say this in verse 12. He would say, but to all who did receive him, who trusted in faith and surrendering, not of any work of their own, but in surrender and submission, who believed in his name. Belief means to trust. It means to receive. Those who did that, he gave the right to become children of God. You enter into God's family not because you could buy it, but because of his love and because uh, he gave it to you as a free gift. Verse 13, you become children of God. How? Verse 13, who were born. He's using another metaphor. He's using an earthly metaphor of, of being born as a child, but a spiritual metaphor, spiritual birth, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. This is what the old timers would say, being born again. You know, you, you, back in the day, uh, uh, Bill, you may remember this. I'm going to say, brother, brother, are you born again? You know, like, um, you know, nowadays you're like, I'm sorry, born who? What? I'm, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. Uh, the way that the scriptures, one of the ways that the scriptures refers to our salvation and what happens is saying that we've been born again. And here's, here's religion. R- religion isn't being born again. Religious strategies is trying to change the externals of your life in order to make yourself more spiritually performative and put yourself in a better place so that you can experience whatever you want to experience. That's religion. Religion tries to change the externals, change the disciplines, change the attitudes, make make sure I'm better, make sure I'm more diligent, make sure I'm a little bit more moral. I don't want to cheat on my wife, cheat on my taxes, cheat on anything else. So I got to be a good person so that God will accept me. That's religion. That's not the God. The gospel is that you need an entirely new rebirth. You need a whole new thing. That old thing, we're not just going to try to change it a little bit. You need something entirely new. That's what the gospel does. The gospel gives you a new birth. It it makes you born again. I love if you were to uh, flip a, and and you all will, uh, this afternoon, you'll flip a couple chapters later into John chapter 3. You'll read the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like the highest religious leader of the day, and he finds Jesus. He comes to Jesus in the dark, and and, and, and Nicodemus is like this amazing religious leader, and he's he's a Pharisee, and he understands the entire Torah and like the entire Old Testament law, and he comes to Jesus, and he comes at night. He kind of goes stealth ninja mode, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, I don't understand everything that you're saying, but could you help me a little bit further? And, and, and Jesus says, well, the problem, Nicodemus, is that you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I, be born again through my, through my, through my mother? Like, that, that's a little weird. And Jesus says, no, 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 not born that way, spiritually reborn. Yes. And Nicodemus, this is, he, he says to Jesus, well, like, how does that happen? Jesus says, well, like the wind, yeah. it blows and it comes. And we don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Such are those who are born of God. See, what, what you need in your life isn't a little spiritual pick-me-up. 
or religious maintenance to your vehicle. You, you need an entirely new rebirth. You need a fall on your face, submit before God, and ask him to change you and save you because you cannot change yourself. I think that's my next point. It's this. Jesus can change you when you cannot change yourself. Amen. He can change you. He's, he's, he's actually in the business of changing things. He's in the business of making things different. He's, he's the one who can actually make a substantial, substantive change in our lives. He's the only one that can make a change that's actually worth it in the long run. And the more and more that I look around our culture and I look around our society, I remember uh, I, I grew up, I grew up in a uh, faith um, I grew up, it's, it's funny, the, the older that I get, I look back on some of my experiences in the past, and at one season, I essentially kind of, uh, uh, the best concept I can think of is poo-poo. I would poo-poo on uh, the, the, the religious experience or whatever of my childhood or whatnot, and then as I grow up and experience things, I recognize where some of those things came from and recognize even some of the value of them. And here I am as this, um, as this, as this man now, um, I was going to say middle-aged, I don't know what I am. Um, <laughs> but I look at our society, and I look at our, our culture, and I, I even look at our city, and I look at our school system, and I look at the, I'm like, this is not going well, people. This is not looking good. And then, if you want to make matters worse, read Ray Dalio's The Changing World Order. That'll really mess you up. He talks about every nation and every... World order, every empire, you could say, has a life cycle through which it experiences certain outcomes. And here's the reality. We're experiencing some outcomes that are not going to be um, healthy and helpful for decades to come. And I, I'm not trying to, like, doom and gloom you today. I'm trying to give you a real, honest understanding of where hope comes from. And if you're looking to the world, if you're looking to your job, if you're looking to your bank account, if you're looking to a relationship, if you're looking to some kind of external reality to order to, to give you hope in your life, you will not find it there. Hope comes from Christ. It comes from him. And he gives you the kind of hope that allows you to endure all of those things and actually remain joyful throughout the process. He gives you that kind of hope and that kind of joy. And this is, this is our final scripture is in verse 14. It says this, and the word, this Christ, became flesh. This is where the, the word incarnation comes from. I believe it's the, the combination of two Latin words to take on flesh. He became flesh, the incarnation, and dwelt among us. He made his home with us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson, I love the way that he would comment on this verse. He would say that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Amen. He moved into the neighborhood. He took on flesh. He would dwell among us. That, that's that concept of tabernacle or temple. He would make his tabernacle among us. He would come to us. And through that is the byproduct of being able to see and experience glory. And so here's how I want to close today. To experience glory in your life. A lot of us have got some grossness that is in our life. A lot of us are experiencing some grossness that is in our world, around us, and different things that we're facing and walking through in our nation and everything. If you want to experience glory, the glory is in Christ. 
It, it, is, it is in him. And when you see him, when you're able to experience him, when you are born again, when you're changed, when you're transformed, when you're given the, the light of men, when you're given the life of God, when you experience that, you're able to see glory. And I, I'm using very spiritual, mysterious terms when I mean that. I, I mean you're able to conceive of something that is glorious. You're able to have a, a window, a picture of your mind of something that's actually better and beautiful and worthy. Spiritually, that's what salvation does. And it, it gives you the, the hope and the reminder that even in the middle of the gross, that glory is coming. Glory is possible. And glory can actually overcome anything. Dr. King, in his 1968 final sermon that he delivered in Memphis, just days before his assassination, he recited um, lyrics from an old poem, We Shall Overcome. I felt like his words are fitting for the nature of the way that we think about glory at this season. He would say, we shall overcome. What a great declaration. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. And I believe it because somehow the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And with this faith, with this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. And with this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beauty symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day. And in the words of the prophecy, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This, he says, will be a great day. This will be a marvelous hour. And at that moment, figuratively speaking in biblical words, the morning stars shall sing together and the sons of God will shout for joy. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, church? And... <clears throat> Let's take a moment of reflection. What is it that you might be experiencing in your life today that feels like it's gross, it's off, it needs, needs to be changed, it needs to be better? Where is, where is that grossness? What is it? And then where do you need glory to change that grossness? felt like I came here to tell somebody today that God can overcome your grossness with his glory and he can give you glory even in your situation today as we reflect with our heads bowed and our eyes closed today I would just be remiss if I didn't realize there might be somebody in the room today somebody online today that needs to make a decision needs to make a decision to surrender to as a, John would say, receive Christ to all who received him, to, 
that became children, they, they had the right to become children of God. Have you received Christ today? Have you individually, I'm not talking about the person sitting beside you, I'm not talking about your spouse or your friend, have you individually received Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you received what he can do on the inside of you? If you haven't, I would encourage you to make a spiritual decision today of receiving him. It would maybe something like this, a prayer to, to God. You could say, God, today I receive you. Uh, Christ, I, I receive you in my life. And I submit to you, I surrender to you, and I need your salvation. I trust in your life, your death, and your resurrection for me. And today I receive your salvation. Father, today we just take this season and this moment and all the things that are happening Father, and we submit it to you. And God, we ask for some glory to come. God, we ask for some glory to, in, to in, invade our lives. We, we ask for some glory to evade our situation. God, we ask that you would uh, stir in us and reveal in us uh, the glory of Christ um, and what we have in you. And this we say in Christ's name, amen.